Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we praise your name, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody go ahead and praise him today.
Thank you, Jesus. Well, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And I can say that without him, I just would be nothing. And I'm so glad I have him. I can have hope because I know God made me. He loves me. He takes care of me. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how he changed my life completely He did something that no other friend could do No one Genesis 29 this morning. Aren't you glad God cared for us? Genesis 29 verses 18 and 20. It says, And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. Verse 20. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. I would like to preach to you this morning on the things we do 
for love. God bless you. You may be seated. In November of 1964, I drove my father's new Grand Prix through the deep snow to Michigan, a hundred miles from our house, to preach for a man I'd never preached for before by the name of William R. Starr. I got there after dark. I pulled Daddy's car by the pastor's house, and I, the church was only like a block or two from the house, but as I pulled my car on the white, snowy roads, deep in snow, the street lights shining down, I saw this old, seemed like it was an Oldsmobile, I don't remember what car it was, but I saw this car parked there, and I saw this beautiful young lady, hair all done up so pretty, had this coat with fur around the collar, and it was pulled way back. You, you know how they do, like, like that, so it wouldn't mess up her hair none. And I saw Sister Marcia Ballestero, actually was a star at that time, standing there, opened the car, getting ready to get in. She was 17. She was going to drive the block and a half to church. And I said out loud in the car as my headlights shone on her and I realized this was the pastor's daughter. I said, oh, God. If I got to fight this, I ain't never going to win. Something happened to me when them headlights locked on her. I knew I was in trouble. And I knew I wasn't going to fight it. Uh, there is something about this thing called love. Your Bible said a friend loveth at all times. It also says that love covers a multitude of sins. I was never in the military. Uh, I grew up of the age to fight in Vietnam, and uh, I really didn't want to be drafted since I was preaching. But if my country had drafted me, I wouldn't have... I, I couldn't have borne arms, but I, I, I'm not a coward. I would have gone on the front lines and been a medic, done something to help. I, I'm highly patriotic. I, I love the good old USA. But I, I've talked to some men who, who told me, I mean, they were just young men, whether it was in the Navy, Marines, Army, Air Force. They talked to me about things that they saw where men were willing to put their life on the line for the flag. That's my flag. And they will defend to the death their flag, their country. They're proud of it. Now, I, I grew up having heroes like Nathan Hale and Patrick Henry and men who were willing to give their life to fight for their country and who had guts and uh, who had a deep passion. You know, my daddy, I just happened to think of this, my daddy used to say, even a dog can tell when it's loved. It, it doesn't take a whole lot of doing for folks to catch on that you like what's going on. It doesn't take a whole lot of doing for God to catch on the fact that you love Him. I heard Brother Paul Harvey tell a story years ago about a, a dog that uh, followed his master everywhere and went to this store, and the man died in the store, and they brought him out <clears throat> all covered up, in an took him in an ambulance to the hospital. The man died, and the dog never did see his master come out. And so in the dog's mind, that master was still in that store, and for years that dog hung around that store waiting for his master to come out. There are things that we do for love. Jacob decided that he wanted to marry Laban's daughter, Rachel. And he said, I don't have any money. I don't have a whole lot to show. But what I am willing to do, I am willing to work seven years just to have her for my wife. He worked seven years to get her. They gave him the wrong one. He worked another seven years to get the right one. And then he worked about another seven years to get enough money to leave town. But the, what interested me is that the Bible said it seemed to him as just but a few days. 
it didn't last very long because of the love that he had for her. I look at the story of Jacob, and the lesson that I see there is one that I want to pick up for my own heart. It's like, it's like Saint Jacob was saying, I'll do whatever it takes just to be with you. And I think when I look at these stories and I try to apply them to my life and learn the lessons that are here and try to... Uh, 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 focus on them, I need to tell the Lord in my heart, God, I'm willing to do whatever it takes just to be with you. There's nothing more important than being in a relationship with God Almighty. There may be a lot of attractions and allurements in the world, but I want Him to know I'm willing to do whatever it takes just to be with Him. Every child, at some point or another, I, I believe every person here is probably in your childhood, heard the story of the gift of the Magi by the famous writer O. Henry. It starts out with the fact that $1.87 was all that Della had, and 60 cents of it was in pennies. It seems that Della and her husband James Dillingham Young lived in a furnished flat that only cost $8 a week. It was now just the day or so before Christmas, and she was desperate to get something for her husband for Christmas. They didn't have very much in the world. The only thing that she had that was of any value, of any worth, was her hair that came down nearly to her knees. He had a beautiful pocket watch that had been passed down to him from his grandpa, but there was no, he had no fob on it. It was just it was just a family heirloom, and he treasured it very highly. There are times when they walked down the street, and, and James Dillingham Young watched his wife look at those beautiful tortoiseshell combs in the window and thought, oh, those would look so beautiful in her hair. Seems that in her desperation to get uh, something for him for Christmas that she took her dollar eighty-seven cents and walked down the street. Couldn't find anything that would even come near to work. She saw a beautiful platinum fob that would look good on his watch, but it cost twenty dollars. As she made her way further down the street, she came by a place called Madame Sophronie's. And it said, we buy hair. And she went in there and they looked at her locks and they agreed on $20 and they cut her hair gave her the money and she tried to fix her hair up best she could and she began to shed a little tear wondering if James would love her like like she was because he loved her long beautiful hair she hurried down to the store and bought the fob for him and came home and she wrapped it all up and she fixed dinner and tried to fix herself up in her best dress and redid her hair looked as Try to look as pretty as she could. When James came home that night, it was late, later than usual, but he had a package in his hand. And uh, he stopped and looked at her, his eyes bugged out, and she couldn't imagine what, what, was, what was his emotion, his feeling. And she said, what's the matter, don't you love me like this? And he said, oh, yes, I love you. And she said, here, here, I, 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 want you to, I, I want you to have this. And she gave him her package. And he gave her his package. He had bought her the beautiful combs for her hair. And she had sold her hair and had got money to buy him a watch fob for his watch. But he sold his watch to buy her the combs. And the story was this, that love is extravagant. Love is always willing to sacrifice. Love always gives its best. I want to tell you, if you decide to fall in love with God, don't give God just the penny-ante stuff of your heart. Give God the best of your heart. Give Him the best of your emotions and your affection. Give God the best part of your years, of your talents, of your life. Put your heart into living for God. 
Do your best to try to discover, God, what can I give you that would be pleasing unto you? I want you to know He gave everything for me. He went to Calvary for me. He gave His all on Calvary for me. The least I can do is give Him my all. I'm talking about the things we do for love. In 1631, there was a man by the name of Shah Jahan. He married a beautiful Persian princess who was a Muslim by the name of Mumtaz Mahal. And, uh, oh, she was his favorite wife. He was the Shah, but Mumtaz Mahal was the pride and joy and the treasure of his soul. She went with him even into battle. And she died giving birth to their 14th child while on the battlefield. And he was so distraught over his wife dying that within two weeks' time his hair, his beard, turned totally white. He came home and he dedicated himself to building a shrine to her. It was a shrine dedicated to an undying love. We know it as the Taj Mahal. He was saying, I'm doing this because I love you. No one is making me do this. No one is telling me I have to do this. No one is legislating that I do this. It's just in my heart to do it. I want you to get your head on straight when it comes to living for God. We dress like we dress. We do what we do. Not because somebody legislates it. Not because somebody's making me live like I'm living. But it's in my heart to live for God. It's in my heart to dress godly. It's in my heart to be careful. It's in my heart to do right. To walk right. To spit right. I'm telling you, you better get it in your heart. You ought to get sick and tired of hearing a bunch of do's and don'ts if it's not in your heart. What you need is a good old-fashioned falling in love with Jesus and say, God, I want you to know that I love you. I'm doing this because I love you. We're living in a day when some folks try to see how much they can get away with. Let me tell you, the most anointed advice and the most impartial counsel you will get when you, is when your pastor stands behind the pulpit. But it's when he goes to his office and you knock on the door and you say, Pastor, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay if we do this? Is it okay if we go here? Is it okay? This? It looks to me like folks are saying, how much can I get away with and still be alright? You see what I'm trying to say here? It looks like folks never say, uh, what else can I do to live for God? What else can I do to put my heart into having church? I am so bothered by people playing on the border. They're neither all the way in church or all the way out. That has to be the most miserable of all folks. I, I, I'm making a play on word and I'm taking it out of context, which I'm not supposed to do. But the book says, Lot set in the gate. That actually was a position of honor in that town. But when you're in the gate, you can see on the outside, he probably could see the mountains where Abraham's flocks were. And yet he was still associated with and tied to the city. His wife was teaching lessons down at the ladies' auxiliary on how to grow African violets or whatever she was doing. They were entwined with the city. Some folks are neither out or are they in. They're not really enjoying the world to its fullest, but they're not really enjoying church. They just come and sit. I'm saying you need to do this because you love Him. Don't just do this because you have to go through the motions. For God's sake, get tired of going through the motions and put your heart into heaven, church. Oh, I tell you what. I, I, you've got a higher percentage of folks having church around here than most folks do. I, I commend y'all. I love how you worship. I love how you pray. I love how you testify. I like the sweetness of the spirit that I feel. I, and and I, I maybe I'm just preaching to the choir today. But I want to tell even new converts coming in. And I want to tell our children growing up. Don't just go through the motions of having church. But put your heart into it. Fall in love with Jesus. And be like David said. Oh, I was glad when they said unto me. Let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, there's, I, I, 
It's a beautiful story, and I haven't got time to tell it, but though the Bible said that if you were the, the offspring of illegitimate birth, you could not come into the tabernacle, you could not come into the sanctuary for ten generations. And you can start with, with one of the sons... Pardon me. With one of the sons of uh, Joseph... And uh, you, you can tra- trace all the, I mean, of, of, uh, of um, my, my heads, my computer just need to ha- had to be reset. There. I don't remember if it was Reuben or who it was, but there was an illegitimate birth with Tamar. And it comes all the way down through the line, and it goes, Lord Jesus, it even goes through Obed. It comes on down through Jesse. And can you imagine David? He was the tenth generation. I, I want you to know it was like, like Jesse was saying, baby... Uh, we still can't go to the tabernacle. We still can't enter into the house of God to worship. But our babies are going to be able to go to church. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. No wonder that brother began to play the harp. No wonder he began to sing unto God. Oh, I just long. I love thy precepts. I love thy law. I'm glad for an opportunity to be able to come to God's house. Then notice, if you will, that when you fall in love, man, you treat the other person with tenderness. You say sweet things, and you do sweet things. And Boys, by, I, I taught all the men and young men in our church to court their wives or their future wives. And to, my father-in-law told me, he said, now, Men love with their eyes. When I was dating my wife, he said, Now, men love with their eyes, but women love with their ears. And he was telling me to say what needed to be said. Oh, it pays wonderful dividends. Oh, hallelujah. I, I, I'm, I want you to know, the old boys, they, they primp and they look just right. Boy, they're trying to get all right. Man, they spend more time from that mirror sometimes some of the girls do. And they only have eyes for her, or they only have eyes for him. Oh, they, they overlook the warts on each other's nose. They're, all they can see is this person is perfect. This one is awesome. Oh, they defend, they defend them. They're careful. They're extra courteous. Oh, they open up doors, and they do little things and little notes and things, you know. But they do things to make each other feel loved. My mother-in-law told my wife, she said, a wise woman knows that when they make their husband's supper and they keep the house clean, that that binds him to her. Some women don't want to do nothing around the house or they don't ever want to cook and so the husband doesn't feel much of attachment to the house. And she told me, she said, a wise man know that when they provide for the family and they see sweet things to their wife and they notice her efforts and they show interest in her, that that binds her to him. Uh, I, I came from a family where I had four sisters. I was the only boy. And my mother made me pull the chair out for each of my sisters when they sat down to eat and open the door when they went through the door. I got served last at the table. I got the chicken neck and, you know, and all them kind of parts. Any of y'all ever gnawed on a chicken neck? It ain't a whole lot of groceries. I'll just tell you that right now. Can I get a witness? <laughs> so here I am now. My, my mother was majored on that. So I go up and uh, start dating my wife and... I go there, and there was five girls in that family, no boys. And my mother-in-law is half Greek. And all the women stood around the table while my father-in-law sat down, and they all waited on him. And then they made me sit down at the other end, and they waited on him and me. And I thought, I believe I can get used to this. This is a pretty good deal right, right here. I don't want nobody messing with this. Invariably to this day, even when we have company, it's almost embarrassing. My wife will come up and she'll serve me first. Here, I'm I'm trying to pass on to the guest and do things, but it's in her heart to want to do it for me. 
Well, you know, if she treats me like a king, it's kind of hard for me to keep from treating her like a queen. It's a two-way street. She automatically, without thinking, does sweet things for me. So it makes me even more want to do sweet things for her. Buy her flowers, little candy, little notes, or stuff like that. We still... Why would you want to get married? So, you know, I think uh, I need to find somebody I'm not going to talk to for 35 years. You look like you'll do. I'll just marry you. Oh, I, I don't, I'm going to get bogged down here if I'm not careful. But you've got to work at a relationship. I'm going to tell you, if you can understand the relationship a little bit between a husband and wife, you can understand it between you and God, the church and God. There needs to be tenderness. I can talk about worship here. When you are rough and careless and the things that you say and do, you don't cherish him or her. I'm telling you, we need to be careful in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll find out that when your loved one is happy, that you're happy. And uh, go learn what that means. There was a woman who came to Jesus one day and she had an alabaster box. And she got down at his feet and she began to weep and cry. And she took her hair and she dried his feet with her hair and she broke open an alabaster box and anointed his feet. What I want you to understand right here was that there was, there was a commandment in Jewish tradition and, uh, it was a custom, I'm sorry, that said that no Jewish slave no Israelite who went into servitude could be forced or made to wash feet. Let that sink in. A slave of another nationality could be required to wash the feet of their master, somebody else, but an Israelite, a Hebrew slave, could not be forced to because it was considered beneath them. The point that I want to make right here, ladies and gentlemen, is that when Jesus came to this home that day, there was no one to wash his feet. The slaves, no doubt Israelite slaves or servants, could not be forced to wash anybody's feet. So when he walked in there, this wasn't happening to him. But according to Holman's Bible Dictionary, it says that the exceptions to that rule was they washed the feet of their master and of the master's guest only out of love, out of respect, or out of obedience and submission to their master. I want you to know, nobody could make me humble myself and wash his feet feet or do that which seems to be undesirable but I am doing what I'm doing out of love did you ever you know some of you brothers might can relate to what I'm saying did you ever be in the same room when your wife is changing the baby's diapers and that lovely aroma permeates the whole atmosphere and you feel the dry heaves coming on one of my sons was trying to be, you know, fatherly and change the baby's diapers, and he invented something that I think may help some of you brothers. He invented what's called wipey on a stick. Well, you don't have to get real close to the business district, you know, you just... Some of the things that we do, we find ourselves doing it not because... You can make me, and here I'm going back to the same subject again. Not because you make me do it, but Father, I am doing this because I love you. That's why I'm here on Thursday night. That's why I'm here on Saturday. That's why I'm here Sunday morning. That's why I'm here Sunday night. That's why we wear our clothes like we do. That's why we have in our home what we have and don't have in our home what we don't have. I'm saying, God, I'm doing this because I love you. Not because of what somebody else thinks, but it's in my heart. There was a woman, when you, when you look at this woman here, you're hearing someone that says, I can't do enough. 
Worship isn't cheap. Love is extravagant. She gave her best. She gave her all. She gave everything it looked like that she had. She gave what was the equivalent, no doubt, to a a year's wages. And yet she did it. There is no limit. Quit just saying, I'm only going to give this much to me. I'd put more into it. Maybe you, maybe you can understand this. I, we had a situation when I was associate pastor in South Bend uh, before I became the pastor. My father was the pastor. And uh, we had a conference, and I tried to get one of the brothers in the church who was just an awesome song leader. I said, Brother, if you don't mind, I'd like to have you lead songs tonight. And he just bought a new suit, and he said, Well, I didn't come tonight to lead songs. He said, I got this new suit, and I don't want to sweat it out. I said, okay, no problem. So I didn't tell my father what the man said. I just used somebody else who went on. And, and the next night, my dad told me to see if I could get Brother So-and-so to lead the songs again. So I went over there and asked him again. He said, no, I, I, I still don't feel like leading songs tonight. And he had another brand-new suit on. I said, well, how about singing a special? Because, you know, that song my daddy likes... Uh, Back to the old world of sin, oh no, I caught a glimpse of Jesus. I said, no, I told you I didn't come to sing. I said, yes, sir. So the third night, man, the thing was running sky high. They were swinging from the rafters. Brother Duke was there, and Brother O'Brien, and Brother Cranford, and Lord, I don't know who all was there. We said, we was having high church. And so help me. This brother comes up on the platform. He used to play in, in nightclubs. He played the lead guitar in nightclubs for years. He came up and said, man, where's the guitar? I said, man, whew, man, it's really running high tonight. And I said, brother, when we needed your help, you wasn't around here to help us. We couldn't get you to help. Now we've got it going without you. Now we don't need your help. Your problem is you run hot or cold. Go sit down. And I went over and told my father what I told his favorite saint. He said, you told him that? I said, yes, sir. He said, good. I thought, oh, Lord, if I'd known that, I'd told him some more. <laughs> but let me tell you, don't ever wear suits so nice you can't have church. Don't ever wear clothes so pretty you can't come and put your heart into it. Don't ever fix your hair up so sweet you can't shout before God. I'm saying when we come to God's house, let's give Him the best of our heart. Give Him the best of your worship. Give Him the best of your love and your life. Go ahead and praise Him. It's all right. There was a woman whose name was Ruth. She stood... I heard Tim Spell one time <laughs> giving a testimony talking about Naomi and Ruth and Oprah. But, but it wasn't Oprah that, that, that was there. But Naomi's daughter-in-laws were talking to her. And Naomi was telling her daughter-in-laws after all their husbands had died. And her Moabitess daughters-in-law loved their mother-in-law. They were going to follow her back to Israel. And she said, darlings, I love you, but I don't have any more sons for you. Go on back home to your people and to your gods. And Orpha laid her head on his shoulder and cried and wept and kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. And she went on back to her people and her gods. But Ruth said, whither thou goest, I will go. Your people's going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. She was saying, I will put nothing before you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to be with you. When you decide to live for God, at some point or another, you've got to cross a line that says, God, I'm not going to put anything before you. I'm not going to go back to my people. I'm not going to go back to my gods. I'm not going to go back to the old life and to the old friends. Where you lead me, I'm going to follow. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to stay with you, live with you, be with you. My daddy told me, here was my father, a gang leader in East Los Angeles. He sat down with, after he got the Holy Ghost, he found his old gang and he sat him down. 
And he tried to tell him about how God had changed his life and filled him with the Holy Ghost. And they looked at him. Not a one of them followed him. But he tried to explain to them, this is why I'm leaving the gang. This is why I'm leaving you. I found what my heart has been looking for. And at some point or other, you have to cross in a line. you got to draw a line and say, I'm not going back to that old life. You can't keep playing with the world. And you can't keep playing with sin. If you tell him you love him, then follow him. You know, I had an old girlfriend one time when I was a teenager who made fun of me one time when I was drinking coffee because I put cream and sugar in it, stirring it up. She was drinking it black. So she said, her name was Beverly. So she said, you're just drinking syrup. Well, my manhood was at stake. I'm 18 years old, and this girl says I'm drinking syrup. Oh, I ain't no sissy. I ain't no syrupy-wurpy. I'm going to drink her black. It took me two or three weeks to get used to that black taste. But, boy, I'm going to do it, and I'm sure you bless God. And I drank black coffee for about 30 years. And I made a mistake one day of telling that story. My wife was in the room. And she walked in, she said, you mean you're drinking coffee black even if you don't like it that way just because of some old girl that used to be your girlfriend? She said, I like coffee with cream and sugar in it. Why don't you drink it with cream and sugar in it for me? See, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so, man, she put some of that Irish cream in there and some sweet and low and brought it to me. Oh, that was the best coffee I'd had in 30 years. And when I tell that story, you know, on a, on a personal level to some pastor, his wife, especially they got daughters or something, and my wife's not even in the room or not even at the revival, they will bring it to me and said, now we're not going to bring you Beverly coffee, this is Marcia coffee. And they hand me Marcia coffee. At some point or another in your noggin, you got to cross the line that says, I'm doing this because I love her. I'm doing this because I love him. You say, well, I've done it for 30 years. I don't care what you've done. It brings a whole lot more harmony when you do it because you love them and say, I'm willing to change for you. Don't get loggerheads with God. And don't, don't get it where you start bumping heads with God. God, this is how I have to do it. I'm telling you, you need to change if it pleases Him. Keep your relationship sweet with Him. <laughs> I will put nothing before you. If a man have a slave, and the slave decide, it'd be nice to have a wife, and his master says, I got one for you right here, and gives him a wife, and he falls in love with her. And they, have, they, they have children, raise a family, and his time comes to go free. And hers isn't. If he leaves, he loses her and the babies. So the Bible said he must plainly say. He calls the elders of the city. He gets his master and he has this great crowd of people to attest to what he's saying. He says I, he must plainly say, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I will be a love slave forever. And he puts his ear on a doorpost. And he puts his ear and they ram. There we go right there. And they ram an awl like a big ice pick right through his earlobe and nail him to the furniture. And that is a sign that he is now part of the structure, part of the building. He's not leaving, going anywhere. He's made a commitment. And at some point or another, we must say to ourselves and to everybody that'll hear us, 
I love this apostolic message. I love this holiness way. I love this new birth experience. I love the Lord. I love this Holy Ghost. Brothers and sisters, I love my pastor. I'm going to be a love slave. I'm going to live for God with all my heart. I don't care if my family does or not. I don't care if my friends do or not. I'm going to live for God with all my heart. Somebody clap your hands into the Lord. The Lord said, uh, Hosea, you don't understand how much I, I love these people. Talking about the things we do for love. He said, I, I've loved Israel when they haven't been very lovely. Matter of fact, I want you to go marry a woman on the wrong side of town. So that you can get an idea of what it's like to love somebody that doesn't love you. And so he found Gomer. And he married her. It's my own personal opinion that it looks like you can nearly tell by the names he named their children that he knew that those weren't even his babies. Because she still hadn't been faithful to him. I can almost imagine some of the women around town saying, well, he might be a prophet. And he might be a man of God, but he don't even know what's going on right underneath his own nose. Them babies ain't his. I seen her going down the street yonder, and I seen her and old what's-his-name, and, and no doubt there was some talk around town. But old Hosea, he just kept on loving them babies and acting like they was his. He loved her. He just cherished that whole household. One day he got up and noticed that his wife was gone. She wasn't in the house. And the children were getting up, and the day was starting and I can see Jose in the kitchen trying to fix some breakfast for the kids and they said daddy where's mom at well I, I don't know where mom is she might have gone to her mama's or see her sister or somebody but here daddy gonna fix you some some eggs and he he was doing their little chores I don't know how long it took him to find her all I know is is that he sought until he found her and finally, when he did find her, however many days it was, or however long it was, she now was tied on an auction block, being sold as just only a human can be sold. And he, you can tell by what he paid for her, that it was not pocket change, it was not what he had on him, it wasn't what was in his wallet or stuck in his waistband. He bought, he he paid bushels of this and some of that. And he went he went home and emptied out his pantry, no doubt, emptied out his storage place. He he, I want to believe he gave everything he had to buy her back. I promise you that on the way home that. She had no doubt felt in my life, I've heard a lot of folks say that they love me, but this is the first time anyone ever proved to me that they love me like He has proved to me that He loves me. What I want to point out to you here is through all your faults and all your failures and all your going back and forth and playing games with God, you're going to find out He's the only one that loves you. The devil will try to tell you you got more friends out there that love you than you do right here. I want you to know you've, got, you've never been loved like you've been loved here in God's house. Here's where you feel the love of God. Here's where you feel the love of God's people. There may not be one person love you out there, but like my wife saying today, no one ever cared for you like Jesus. For three days I have wept in my private devotions and prayer times going over Isaiah 48. I believe it's verse number 16. I'm not going to quote it just exactly right. That's all right. I'm just going to give you the essence of it. But it has just got a hold of me and it won't let go. But here's Isaiah's people in Isaiah's days saying, God, it seems like you've forsaken us. And we've just come back from bondage and our city walls are crumbled down. Our town's destroyed. We're nothing. We've lost all. And if you loved us, we wouldn't have gone to bondage. If you, if you loved us, you wouldn't let us go through with some of the stuff we've gone through. God, you have forgotten about us. And the Lord said in verse 16, He said, Forgotten about you? I haven't forgotten you. I've engraven your names on the palm of my hands. And he said, and thy walls are continually before me. Let me talk about that just a second. 
when you grip the palms of your hands, when you have your palms turned out like that, you don't do anybody harm with your hands like that. When your hands like this, this is how you reach. Should God have been angry at Israel and want to pick up the sword of judgment, mercy would say, look at your hand, God. See that name written there? Every time he'd look at his hands, there would your name be. I could even go, talk about written with a pen of iron, I can even go to the New Testament and talk about written with an iron nail. My name in His hands. That nail went right through my name in His hands on Calvary. I want you to know that He loved me. He did that out of love. But here's a point that, that I, I have been hanging up on, and, I, and, I, and I'm not all the way there. I haven't, I haven't mined all the depths of this yet in my own spirit. But it said, Thy walls are continually before me. The flesh looks around and says, What walls? My walls are broken down. And yet God has said, Thy walls are continually before me. It's like God was seeing Israel as a finished product. Not as they were, but as they will be, could be, should be, shall be. All we can see is our faults and failures. We have a tendency to want to throw in the towel and say, what's the use? But God can see you ahead of time. He can see you on down the road. He don't see you with all your faith. But I'm telling you, by His grace and by His mercy, He sees the finished product when He sees you. Your walls are continually before Him. The walls aren't the first part of the city you build. You build houses and places first before you put a wall around it and then build. That's built. You don't get a wall without unity. You don't get, oh, I, I haven't got time to, to, to go all there. But the wall was nearly the last thing that gets built before the thing is done, finished. And it signifies the finished product. That's what God sees in you. I'm talking about the things we do for love. When did Marisa get married? How many years has it been? Three? Three or four? I have four sons, one daughter. And uh, my daughter loves me very much. She loves her mama very much. She always been a girl that's always just come and crawl up in daddy's lap. And she's a married woman now, and she still comes and crawls up in Daddy's lap. Only now, I got her in my lap, and I got grandbabies in my lap. So my lap's needing to get a little bigger to hold everybody. And so far, I'm glad my son-in-law hadn't come and joined the crowd. But I'm standing there getting ready for the wedding. The music is playing. Most everybody's in position. We're standing out just shelter where no one can see us. And my, all the people are fixing and doing and primping and stuff, you know, and things. And my daughter says to me, Daddy, I just love him so much. I just want to run down the aisle. I said, well, baby, if you want to run down the aisle, we'll run down the aisle. She said, but you're not supposed to run down the aisle at your wedding. Well, I've never seen it. I've preached lots of weddings. But if that's what you want to do, we'll do it. No, she said, I, I couldn't do that. So somebody else, they're fixing this and they're doing that, you know, and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. She said, but, oh, I just want to run down the aisle. I said, well, honey, if you want to run down the aisle, we'll run down the aisle. No, I couldn't. And the little miniature bride and groom, you know, getting ready to go on. I mean, we 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 wrapping it all up. The maid of honor's gone, and we're about the next one. She said, "Daddy, I just want to run down the aisle." So I saw I, I saw that we was dealing with a serious girl. I said, "Baby, let me tell you, to give the photographer time to at least get one picture, it's a long aisle. We'll walk down about halfway." Give everybody time to look and see and take pictures. And if I feel a little squeeze on my arm, you high-step your clothes round about you 
because we're fixing a double-clutch A-flat trailer truck down that aisle. So we started doing that little, you know, prissy half-step, slip-step kind of thing. And, you know, we was doing whatever it is you do when you walk down as the father of the bride. And I felt that little... <clears throat> I looked at her... And we started running down the aisle. And photographers were snapping pictures. And people started cheering and clapping their hands. And the groom just kind of fell over backwards. He didn't know what in the world to think. And it took several minutes for the crowd to settle down. They had never seen a bride run down the aisle to where the groom was. You know, you know, you know what? They took pictures. It made the front page and and, and sections in the, and one section of the newspaper. And for over a year later, uh, people would stop me in the supermarket. You, the man that run down the aisle with your daughter? Yeah, that's me. This bald head is recognizable everywhere. I'm talking about the things you do for love. She said, "I can't wait to be his wife." I worry about people that say they love Jesus, but they don't want to take His name. You ought to gather your things around you and run down this aisle and say, I want to get baptized in Jesus' name. Because that's how you take the name of Jesus. You will never be the bride until you take His name. You want to be married to Him? You want to be the bride of Christ? Then you must Take His name, and the only way to take His name is to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Because it's the only name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. I was preaching in Colorado here earlier last year, and I had a lady run down the aisle wanting to get in the baptistry. First time I'd seen that happen. I'm telling you, I love to see folks get excited about wanting to get baptized. That was her first night there, but she wanted to get baptized. She'd heard about baptism in Jesus' name. I, I want you to know when they got done preaching, Peter got, uh, the, Philip got done preaching to the Ethiopian. He said, the Ethiopian looked at him and said, Here's water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? I can't wait to take the name. There ought to be something in you that says, God, I want to belong to you. I want to take your name in baptism. Until you take that name of Jesus, you will still be a sinner. Your sins will still be on your back. But it's when you take that name in baptism in Jesus' name that your sins get washed away. That's the day you get clean. That's the day you get washed. That's the day you become pure in your heart when you take His name. What I want to know is, do you love Him enough to take His name? Do you love Him enough to say, Lord, I want to live for You. I have repented of my sins. I've asked you to forgive me of my sins. If you have done that, the next step for you is to take His name in baptism. Why do we take His name? Because we love Him. Read in the Word of God on the day of Pentecost and every place that you can find where the Word was preached and folks got saved the Bible said is when they heard this. They didn't think about it. They didn't go home and sleep on it. They didn't go home and ask 19 relatives about it. When they heard that, they responded. God doesn't want you to wait when He asks you to take His name. When He says, it's like a proposal. When I said, I had the most, by all common standards, the most unromantic proposal you ever heard in your life. My wife and I only got to date about ten times because I was evangelizing and traveling. And I was around her and I thought, oh God, I, I can't live without this woman in my heart, my world. And here I was, I was preaching in Nacogdoches. And I went up to the pastor, I said, man, I ain't doing you no good. And what I wanted to say is you're not doing me no good either. But I... I said, I, I got some things I got to take care of. I, I hate to close revival on you. I've never closed revival out like this before nor since. But I, I heard my father was preaching in Fort Worth, and I went over to where my father was. And I said, Daddy, I need to talk to you. What do you think about Marcia June Starr? 
I said, I don't want you to talk to me like my daddy. Talk to me like my best friend. You're the best friend I got. What do you think? We cried and we talked and we prayed. And he put the good housekeeping seal of approval. Man, I, had, I went to church that night, listened to daddy preach, but I don't remember what he was preaching on. All I could think of was Marcia June, Marcia June, Marcia June. I hadn't written her for about three weeks and hadn't called her for about three weeks. I was trying to say... You know, I'm a long ways away. Maybe there'll be other folks that start looking good to me down here. Maybe it was just because I was there. But the longer I didn't talk, the longer I didn't call, the worse it got. And I had this beautiful vision of taking her to this nice restaurant called Windshuler's and Romantic Candlelit Dinner and going out by this lakeside and moonlight walk around the lake and holding hands and sweet nothings and all these will you marry me kind of things. I've never told about a marriage proposal for an altar call, but I guess this will work. And I couldn't wait. I stopped in front of an old, worn down, run down liquor store with a phone booth. <laughs> I said, it was midnight where she was at, and I said, baby, I, and I told her why I hadn't called. I said, I, I, I've tried to make it without talking to you for three weeks, without writing you, but the, I found out I can't live without you. I think about you every day, all day. I sleep and dream about you. I look at the food, and there's your face. You're just everywhere. I got it bad. I love you with all my heart. Will you marry? I know it's over the phone and I hate this, but I, I can't let another day go by. Will, I love you. Will you marry me? Well, I'll think about it. I'll call you four or five weeks to let you know. Man, if she'd have said that, my world would have been crushed right there. She said, I sure will. Oh. What I'm trying to tell you here is that there is a God who is trying to tell you that He loves you and has tried in more than one way to get the point across to you that He doesn't want to spend eternity without you, just like you don't want to spend it without Him. And when He invites you to take His name, that is a marriage proposal to take His name. Say, well, I need to think about it. I'll let you know when I'm good and ready. That's not what romance is all about. You need to let Him know, yes, I want to take your name. I want to be your bride. I want to be married to you. I want to be baptized in your name. I want my sins washed away. While we stand here today, hallelujah, while we sing a song, you want, you've repented of your sins? I want you to come and be baptized this morning. If you haven't made that first step towards God, then I want you to come down and let Him know, Lord, I love you and I want to live for you with all my heart. Say that yes to Him today. It's what we do for love. While we sing a song, will you come? to Jesus oh yes Lord give him all to Jesus why don't we come stand around the front again today dedicate ourselves to living for God because we love him let it be out of love and not out of duty today.
Alice Darrell, thank you. Appreciate the word of the Lord. I was thinking, what a unhappy, miserable life this would be if really your heart's not in it. And that's where a lot of people are. They're laboring under the wrong relationship. It's uh, rules and, and the regulations, amen, that they don't understand because it's not in their heart. Amen. I'm glad I choose to live for the Lord. The truth is a wonderful friend. Appreciate the good word of the Lord. Amen. If you will be seated, we got a baby to dedicate to the Lord.